Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. I've been friends with today's podcast guest, Kevin Fowle, for around five or six years. I've known Kevin as a great guy and an excellent runner, but it was only recently that I knew that Kevin has a coaching service for runners called Simplified Running. I saw a Facebook post in which another local Western Mass runner, Ashley Mellon, gave Kevin kudos for helping her achieve her goal of qualifying for the Boston Marathon with a bulletproof margin. I did a little online research and discovered that Kevin has a nice website for simplified running that includes info about Kevin and his coaching services, as well as quite a few of Kevin's ideas on running. In the podcast, we discuss Kevin's coaching, as well as many of his running experiences. Kevin has completed 31 marathons, including 14 Boston marathons. I also try to unsuccessfully pry the names from the next class of the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame from Kevin, as he is a board member on the Hall of Fame. Here's my conversation with Kevin Fowle, and stay tuned afterwards for a rundown of local running events, including some impressive results from local runners participating in the Tokyo Olympics. I'd like to now welcome Kevin Fowle to the podcast. I've been friends with Kevin for around five or six years after I got hooked on long distance running. I see Kevin quite frequently at local events, in particular at the Snowstorm Classic races at Forest Park in Springfield during the winter months. Kevin, I think the last time we saw each other was prior to the pandemic. No, I think it was at a Snowstorm Classic race back in, it was February of 2020. Kevin, welcome to the Let's Run podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tim. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Great. So first of all, you were an officer in the Marine Corps from 1981 to 1991. And I believe that you were a captain during Operation Desert Storm in, in 1991. That is correct, Tim. Yeah, I was safe and sound. I was activated. I was called out of the uh, individual ready reserve and sent down to Camp Lejeune, but I was safe and sound the entire time. Well, well, thank you for your service to our country. And speaking of the Marines, I was looking at the results from the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., and, and I saw that you ran it in 2014 and 15, and I also ran it in 2015, but I, I finished well behind you. You had a great time that day. It was three hours, 19 minutes. Well, ahead of my time. I, um, I was at 3.55. I just missed a BQ time on that race. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> I think I could have used your coaching that day because I... <laughs> That race, so I was feeling really good that day. I was uh, about mile 15, 16, I, and I was kind of where I wanted to be. And, but in the last 10 miles or so, I just had the worst stomach aches. I, I, I don't know mm. if you remember that race, but they had, I think it was like mile 24, they were giving out Dunkin' Munchkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about that. Gee, a chocolate munchkin might be good, but when, when I... I couldn't swallow it. My, was, my mouth was so dry. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, um, that, that is a unique thing about the Marine Corps Marathon that, that, that munchkin stop. Um, I think it's right near the Pentagon, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, it's yeah. close to the end. But somehow I forgot about that steep hill right at the very end. <laughs> that is a wall. The <laughs> final run up to the uh, War Memorial. That's a wall. I think Sri Bhakti also ran 2015 with us. Yeah, it wasn't a, a bad day. Um, just as an aside, I, I was a little late getting to the starting gate. I had stayed in a hotel on the Washington, D.C. side, and my wife and I decided that, well, we'll, we'll get up early. We'll take an Uber across the Potomac because the race starts over by the Pentagon. But what we didn't count on was all the bridges being closed that morning. Uh-huh. So, and the old Uber driver didn't know that, and we, we couldn't get across. And finally, I had the Uber driver take me to a metro station and took the metro to the pentagon stop which is what we should have done at the first place so i was yeah. a, a late arriving that day but so i think also that that year tim um they had some issues there was a little bit of precipitation um yes. before the start and they had some issue with some of the security equipment with the athletes coming in and i think if i'm not mistaken that was the year one of the trains hit a deer and the trains bringing runners in all got delayed. So there's a lot of people that, that had a tough start to that race. 
Yeah, I remember everyone being funneled through like one security checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. took a while. So for the podcast, I'd like to talk about your coaching service called Simplified Running. And then we'll talk about your own running accomplishments. And at the end, briefly touch upon the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame. So let's start with your coaching. Um, how long have you been coaching runners? Well, I, I officially got involved around 2007 or so. It was when my daughters were in high school. I started helping out with the, the cross-country teams. And then um, when social media hit, I was on a number of various Facebook pages and you know, I would contribute to various discussions and there's a lot of great information out there in social media. And there's also a lot of very bad information out there. And I started finding myself getting into private conversations with individuals off the discussion board, if you will, where, you know, I ended up advising them, giving them my opinion for what it was worth. And one thing led to another and I started building these relationships. And uh, one day one of my daughters was home and I was like, dad, you should set up a website and you could just be coaching people online. So that's what I did. She set me up with, you know, a website builder because of my technical uh, abilities aren't the best, but we set up the webpage and uh, I've been doing it ever since. So did you have to go through some certification to be, be a running coach? I did get certified. You don't have to. But because I was, you know, it's one thing to be dealing with people who you know, and they know you and they know where you're coming from. It's another thing to be dealing with folks across the country. And, you know, they don't know you from a hole in the wall. So I did get myself certified, took a test, passed it. So I, I am, you know, I have a license. There's all sorts of licenses out there, not to be negative towards the education industry, but, you know, a lot of it is just a, a money grab. Yeah. But, you know, I love learning about running and, and I can't say I necessarily learned. I, I probably have learned more on the road with my running buddies and all the reading that I do than any certification course I've taken. Yeah. On a, a long 20 mile training run, you um, learn a lot about your friends and <laughs> the running habits and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So you coach all levels of runners from beginners running their first 5K to experienced runners looking to improve their marathon time. And I believe you've been coaching Ashley Mellon. She's been really doing well at the Thursday night races at, at Ashley Reservoir. She's frequently the first overall female finisher, and she uh, recently qualified for Boston at the Jim Thorpe uh, Marathon in Pennsylvania. Ashley was actually good friends with my daughter growing up. And I know you wanted to, to talk about my daughter later, but um, she had reached out to my daughter and, and my daughter was like, you should talk to my dad. Ashley was having a, a little problem with finishing her marathons, you know, with her energy level and bonking near the end. And she was doing well, but she wanted to do better. So um, we ended up hooking up and she puts in the effort. She's, she's got talent and she's got heart and uh, she's getting what she deserves now. She's, she's doing really well. I think she has an eight and a half minute cushion now on her EQ time. I'm sure she'll get in uh, for 2022. Yeah. It's awesome. So in addition to working with local runners, you also work remotely with runners from all over the country. And you even have a testimonial from a husband and wife team in Canada. <laughs> so how do you communicate and work with the remote runners? When I first started, it was, you know, through emails, text messages, you know, one of the few positive things that have come out of COVID is, you know, the technology with the conferencing, the Zoom meetings. And so now I'm doing Zoom meetings and it is really neat. About two weeks ago, I have a repeat client who's come back to me. And previously we had only dealt through emails and text messaging and whatnot. And uh, we had a Zoom meeting. And so it was really cool to meet her for the first time after dealing with her on three other efforts that she had in the past. So the Zoom technology is great. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's helped me with these podcasts. I'm not sure I'd be doing it if we didn't have Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So what specific services do you provide as a coach? It runs the spectrum. The value that I bring to the table, though, I think is the ongoing conversation. So anyone can go out there. The plans are out there. They're on the internet. You can do your, your research on your own. There's a lot of great plans out there. And as you know, Tim, it is a great community. You know, I was blessed with having good running partners and I learned so much from them along the way. And, and so runners are always willing to help each other. Where I think I come into play and I help people is when I am officially coaching somebody, I'm going to be engaged with them over the duration of whatever it is we're doing. 
you know, so I may write the plan for them. I may, you know, it may be a Hal Hinding plan and maybe Hanson Brothers plan. You know, like I said, there are a dime a dozen out there and they all work. You know, it all depends on the situation. But I'm engaged with the person weekly. You know, the plans work, but they nothing ever goes perfectly according to plan. And so it's the adjustments that you need to make. And, you know, while you may have your running friends, if they're not engaged with you and they haven't been having the conversations week after week and they don't see the trend of what's happening, their advice might not be appropriate. And so with my services, I am there with the person speaking to them multiple times a week. I know how their training's going. I, you know, I understand the cause and effect of different things. And it's that ongoing connection that makes, I think, the services worthwhile. I think that's so true. There's so many 16-week marathon training plans out on the internet you could find, but you know, life gets in the way. And I think it's rare that someone would just follow the 16-week plan to the T. So something comes up, either uh, you know, minor injury or maybe you go on vacation. So now you, you miss a week of training and how do you make that up? And so th- I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of things like that, that it'd be beneficial to have a coach. Yeah. Just having that experienced person that you can communicate with. I'm working in it with an individual today, far faster than, than I ever was, knows far more about nutrition, endurance. Uh, this, this is one knowledgeable individual, but he also often can get himself trapped in that tunnel vision. And so he needs somebody step removed to give him some advice and help keep him from that tunnel vision and going down the wrong path. Very knowledgeable guy, very fast. He knows what he's doing. He, he just needs a sounding board. Do you find that there's any common mistakes that many runners make that you work on correcting? One thing that I'm very, very sensitive to now, and I did not see it in myself at the time when I was trying to be competitive, but I, I am a believer in the 80-20 rule. Um, there's a great book by Fitzgerald, I forget his first name, talking about applying the 80-20 rule to running. We as recreational but semi-competitive runners, you're always pushing and trying to get better and, and trying to you know, run good paces, and we don't rest enough. It comes into play as we age, as you and I know, but even the younger runners with the 80-20 principle, the theory is 20% of your efforts are hard, and you want to make sure 80% of them are easy so that you have fully recovered and you can make those hard efforts even harder. We spend too much time in that 50-50 range and we don't maximize the rest and we don't maximize the hard workout. So I think that's the biggest thing that I see right now. People are always trying to get better and they don't realize they, they need to be patient and rest. That's my observation. Also, there's another book out there, uh, Run Less, Run Faster. And in this right. book, they advocate running three days a week and, and then in the other days doing cross training activities. And, and so I find many runners, when they're training for a marathon, they, they go out every day and run. And I, I think you can do too many miles. <laughs> Yeah. I tried the three-day approach once. I love cycling also. I'm into road, road riding. And um, I, I wanted to find a balance with the cycling and the running. So I shifted to the three-day program. The problem I had with that personally, and as we spoke earlier, there's a lot of different plans out there and you got to find the right one that fits you. But if you want to be competitive with the three-day program, every run is intense. And you don't get to just take a run and go smell the roses and take in the scenery. And the three-day program is mentally exhausting. Well, that's true. You're doing, you know, tempo runs and long runs, speed workouts and so on. So you talked about running plans, programs rather, uh, you know, Hal Higdon or the Hanson Brothers. Is there one program that you prefer or does it depend on the individual? It depends on the individual. They all work, you know, if applied appropriately, even like I said, the three-day program for those who are limited in time or have other life issues with wanting to cross-train other interests, it can work. The Higdon plans, those are very good and they're scalable. They range from the novice, just getting you to the starting line and finish line to you can increase your number 20 milers and increase the pace, put in some good results with, with the Higdon plan. Personally, for me, I finished with running and following a Hanson plan, and um, that was good. I, I wish I had learned about the Hanson method earlier in, in my running. 
So the handsome method, we talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago with um, Sarah Bousquet. So Sarah runs ultra marathons and she um, talked about the handsome method in which you run long distances on multiple days. I think you, you get tired and then you, you run while you're tired, I think is the theory. And, and so that trains your body for when you're actually competing in an event. Yeah, they, they focus on the fatigue factor. As you know, the success and failure of a marathon, you know, it's, it's, it's not the first 20 miles, it's the finish. And so with the Hansen program, it's exhausting. It's a lot of miles and you're doing your long runs on tired legs. And it's meant to simulate the finish of a marathon and have your body and mind prepared for what you're in for at the end of a run. So your webpage has an informative discussion on running form. So what are some of the basics, posture, you know, warming up, cadence, et cetera? Running form is an interesting topic of discussion. There are many people who believe that form comes with the miles in your body naturally finding its efficient form. I'm not one of those. I don't subscribe to that theory. Okay. I do believe there is something to that, that over time you pick up a certain form, but it can also be a result of some bad habits. Okay. So I do believe there are some things that should be stressed and taught. And it starts with what you mentioned, posture. You know, when we were kids, you know, our mothers and fathers always telling you to you know, sit up straight, stand up straight, you know, with the high school kids, I'm on their case about that. And um, I always start with just simply telling them, you know, with your head, you know, that melon weighs eight to 10 pounds and keep it over your shoulder. Because if you're leaning forward with that head hanging forward, that all that stress and strain on your neck is, is taking its toll on you. And you want as much energy as possible going into your legs. So start with just good posture, nice alignment, ears, shoulders, hips, get your lean from your ankles and not from your waist. And so that that's what I start with. Um, and the other thing, as I've aged, you know, and then do as I say, not as I do, Tim. If you see some pictures of me finishing a marathon, I, I have some pretty ugly form there. Um, <laughs> but with youth, you can get away with beating your body. And, and you can look at videos of some very fast, you know, Olympic caliber elite runners. And, you know, maybe their form defies some of the recommended good form practices, if you will. However, I would say, yeah, now let's see if they're still running when they're in their 60s, okay, if their joints have held up. So to that point, keeping your feet under your body mass, not overstriding, not hitting with your heels, you know, the, the whole issue of, you know, heel versus mid strike. You can get away with being a heel striker, and there are great shoes out there that can help absorb the shock. But if you can keep those feet underneath you and behind you and have good landing and just let your body absorb the shock rather than getting hammered by the shock, I think that's so important for longevity. Yeah, longevity is a key word there. So my own personal experience is I started long distance running, you know, more than 10Ks, only like like seven years ago, back in 2014. And I had some early success, you know, I, you know, I ran a half marathon, a mar couple of marathons and, um, don't, don't be so humble, Tim. You had a lot of very good success. You, you could run, you know, and I never gave a lot of thought to running form and people would tell me, gee, they saw me at the res. They knew it was me. And they were at the other end of the res because they recognized my running form. So I interpreted that as, well, I must do something that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> But then after, you know, I ran a couple of marathons and, and then I started having nagging injuries and I, I hurt my Achilles and I went to a physical therapist who video recorded my running on a treadmill. And then she told me that I'm a heel striker and, you know, I should try to teach myself to be more of a midfoot striker. And then she suggested chi running as a, a method of trying to achieve that. Yeah. And so I try to do that before I run. I do a little warm up and I haven't been recorded since then, but I think there's a lot to be said about running form. You know, you could probably have some success, but I think over long periods of time, if you're doing something wrong in the basics, you're eventually going to get injured. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned chi running. I'm not certified as a chi running instructor, but I've read two of his books and, um, Excellent books, um, good reads, good examples. And, and one thing I got out of that book that I try to teach my high school runners and adult runners, um, you know, I tell them you, you need to cheat when you're running. 
you know, a lot of kids you don't have to worry about this with, but when adults get back into running, they think running is similar to walking. You're just simply stepping out, trying to move forward and they're stepping forward. And as you step forward, your foot's out in front of you and you come down on your heel. You know, that's what running is. You're just, you're, you're walking fast. Running is walking fast to a lot of adult runners. And in the Chi book, it's like, no, get the lean, get that little body lean going and let gravity pull you forward. And I'll tell the high school runners, running is simply falling forward and catching yourself and repeating it. And, and so get that lean, let gravity help you. And the experience can be a heck of a lot more enjoyable. And now your feet are landing under you rather than out in front of you and stopping you. I read your blog about having your feet land under you. And in fact, just yesterday, I did a 13 mile long run. I'm, I'm training for October Boston and I kind of liked it. I think it helped my posture be a little more erect than what I had been. Yeah. I don't want to overthink it, but every once in a while, I'll think about it. And, you know, in a long run, you have plenty of time. And yeah. um, I think there's something to it. Yeah. And you also just said something else, Tim. You don't want to overthink it. You, you want running to be fun and enjoyable. And, you know, similar with golf, I'm trying to improve my swing. And, you know, there's so many things that run through your mind. You don't want to do that to runners. You want to be able to go out and just be mindless and just go out and enjoy the experience and let the endorphins flow. So you don't want to overthink it, but taking some time every now and then to do some drills and, and to focus in can pay great dividends. I agree. So you have many other ramblings on your simplified running webpage. Uh, do, you, do you ever see yourself writing a book? You seem to <laughs> like to write. <laughs> if, if I did, I think only my uh, daughters and sisters would buy it. Um, I do enjoy <laughs> writing. I do it sometimes just to get my thoughts out. I did a lot of writing leading up to Boston each year. You know, I, lo I love the Boston Marathon. And it's a very, for me, it's a very emotional experience every year. And so I... I used to start, you know, just journaling my notes about Boston and I, I enjoyed writing, but yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody would buy any book that I would write. <laughs> well, we'll talk about Boston in a few minutes, but I, I do want to talk about some of your partnerships uh, with your uh, simplified running. And so one of your partners is your daughter, Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, who's Lindsay's a professional sports dietitian and a competitive runner. And she has a business called Rise Up Nutrition. So could you talk a little bit about Lindsay and her work? Lindsay was always very athletic. She did compete at UMass. She pole vaulted and ran the 400 meter hurdles. And um, she majored in nutrition and is a registered dietitian. She worked at uh, Florida State. She got her master's from Florida State. And she worked also at the University of Georgia. But then she landed a gig. She was a civilian contractor in charge of nutrition for the Air Force Special Ops. It was a great experience for her. Um, her husband is in the Air Force, though, and when he got transferred, she gave up her position and um, started her own business. And I tell people, sadly, her focus is primarily female runners with eating disorders. And, and sadly, there's a market out there. There's a lot of people who need help there, and, and that's what her specialty is. Yeah, so one of her clients is Mary Kane. And, and so Mary Kane is a world-class runner who she had been running with the Nike Oregon Project. And Mary developed an eating disorder as the result of being abused by Alberto Salazar. That's been in the news quite a bit. And Salazar is now, he's permanently banned from track and field events. How did Lindsay meet up with Mary Kane? Lindsay was actually... Her clients, she would use a lab for her clients' samples that, you know, would have to be tested and whatnot. And this lab also somehow was supporting Mary Kane. And when the whole incident with Nike exploded, they wanted to do some sort of a podcast. And so they wanted to have a panel and they were going to have Mary Kane on it, as well as my daughter and some others. And they got introduced and they ended up establishing a relationship. And next thing you know, Mary hired her to be her personal uh, nutritionist. The New York Times did a, a video story on Mary Kane and her experience with the Nike Oregon Project. Mm. So have you learned anything about diet and nutrition from Lindsay? Um, to inform your own I, running? <laughs> yeah, I have learned that I, I missed out on opportunities prior to her being as educated as she is. I mean, you know, my, my wife has fed me well over the years, so I am not <laughs> complaining at all. In fact, I am horrible. If it wasn't for my wife, I'd, I'd be in trouble. But, um, you know, I'm not good with my own nutrition. Lindsay got into it near the end of my marathoning career. 
I do use her though. I talk to her often as new things have come out. You know, there's a lot about the keto and fasting and the uh, low carb, burn fat only approaches. And so we talk about it often. Um, she is not convinced with scientific studies yet backing anything other than carbo loading for marathon training though. So I'm still on the uh, three-day carbo loading approach with my runners because she, she has not found anything that she endorses otherwise. Yeah. I still eat a lot of bagels and and pasta before (laughs) marathon. (laughs) So so you, You also partner with a physical therapist, Ashley McLeish from Los Angeles. So how did you get connected with Ashley? Ashley and I um, were on a couple of Facebook groups together and we, you know, had some dialogue with each other. And um, I actually asked her for a a courtesy favor. I had a runner who um, had a few things about their form that I was not crazy about. And, you know, I, I know good form when I see it, but I'm not trained in all the, you know, muscles and the skeleton. So I don't necessarily know all the causes and effects and therefore, you know, what exercises or muscles to improve or strengthen. So I asked Ashley if she could look at a video for me and give me her opinion. And um, she had all the professional equipment, broke down the video and, and came up with a list of exercises for this runner to do. So I, I'm very aware of what I know and what I don't know. And when it comes to certain things with the form, I, I think it's important to get professional help. And that's how I ended up hooking up with Ashley. I agree. So you coach high school cross country and you, you were an assistant cross country coach at Aguam High School. And, and you're now the head coach at Southwick Regional High School. So talk about unique issues associated with coaching high school athletes. Well, first of all, I have both boys and girls. So there's an obvious difference there. Also, I've been dealing with ninth graders through 12th graders. And there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, a young freshman and a a senior who's soon off to college. And at Southwick, I'm actually going to have seventh and eighth graders as well. So that's going to be a, a, a new personal challenge for me. So dealing with that age spectrum is a challenge. Also, I have been very fortunate. I've had a lot of great kids. I do enjoy the competitive runners and helping the competitive runners. And I've had some very, very good ones um, the last couple of years. And I've also had kids that are out there just trying to be healthy and trying to contribute. And I want to keep them motivated to continue to see their self-improvement and enjoy the sport and become lifelong runners. And so striking that balance, actually, I shouldn't say striking that balance. I actually have to take different approaches. I'll be serious and competitive with the competitive runners, making sure that, you know, they maximize their potential while also taking a different approach with the casual kid that's out there just trying to do an extracurricular activity. Yeah. So certainly not a one size fits all approach. No, not at all. Not at all. So if someone wanted to hire you as a running coach, how would they go about doing that? Give me a phone call. Um, I I get a lot of referrals where people have come to me through others that I've coached in the past. My website is out there, you know, simplified running. Actually, I don't even know my my website off the top of my head. I think if they Google simplified running, they'd find you. I think, yeah. Now let's talk about your own personal running. Um, It appears that You've been running your entire life. You were on the cross-country and track teams at Cathedral High School as, as well as at Boston College. So what distances did you run? I was pretty much a half miler in high school. I, I actually did not start running high school track until my junior year. And actually, I started track as a pole vaulter. And then all my running buddies convinced me to, to run a quarter mile which I think they had a lot of fun watching me hit the wall at 300 and nearly die as I stumbled mm-hmm. home the final 140 yards. But then I became a half miler. Cathedral back in you know, 1976, 77 was staffed. They were a powerhouse high school. So, you know, I was just another runner on the team. Boston College, you know, I ran cross country and the 800 my freshman year. And then sophomore year, I got injured. And that was the end of my competitive running, if you will. And then I got into cycling, was racing with the Cyclonauts. And um, it was when my oldest daughter went away to high school and started running track that next thing you know, I started quote jogging again. 
and um, then started showing up at some road races, seeing folks I hadn't seen in, you know, 20 plus years. And, you know, next thing I know, I was back in the running scene. I believe you were 44 years old when you ran your first marathon. Um, I'd have to look it up. You, you've done your research. That was on your uh, profile on your simplified running page. It's amazing what you find out about people online. Yeah. So it was 2004. So I am one of these types of people who I always have my, you know, my list of goals, my annual goals, my lifetime goals. And I always had run a marathon on there. Um, when I was at Boston College, I always felt I'd run a marathon. Boston runs by BC, um, you know, every year. And, you know, back when I was running, it, that was like a, it was a no brainer. I'll do it someday. No big deal. Little did I know I'd get away from the running scene, but I always kept running a marathon on my list of lifetime goals. And then it was uh, Christmas, 2003. My daughters bought me a book for Christmas, marathoning for mortals. And they wrote in there, dad, you're not getting any younger. If you're ever going to cross a marathon off your list of lifetime goals, you better start training. So talked to a few friends, didn't know if I could do it or not. And they felt I could. And so I followed this plan and ran the 2004 with Griffin's friends. And, you know, I do admit it, times have changed. You know, I ran it as a bandit with Griffin's friends. Back then, bandits were, you know, I don't want to say they were encouraged, but they were allowed. I know folks in other parts of the country think that's sacrilegious to run Boston as a bandit, but it's different. But I jumped in, ran it, and uh, thought I was going to die. And I didn't run it. I had to walk a lot of it. So the competitor in me was like, no, I can't say I ran a marathon. I can't check this off my list. And so I had to train again so that I could say I ran it, which I did. Then it was like, no, now I need to qualify for this. And then it just, it became addictive for me. Well, you qualified many times. I looked at the Boston Marathon records and you've completed it 14 times. Other than the first one, uh, do any stand out? Two others stand out. You know, I, I got memories from all of them, Tim, but um, 12 stands out. 12 was hell also. Like 2004, 2012 was pushing 90 degrees. Um, in 2004, for my first one, Rich Clark, who's an excellent runner in the area, phenomenal at all distances, he took me aside before Boston 04 and said, Kevin, be careful out there. You know, it's, it's going to be hot and it's going to be bad. And he was right but I didn't take his advice. Mm -hmm. I went too hard. I thought I was going to die, but blamed it on, it was, it was a marathon. You're, you're not supposed to feel good running a marathon. I subsequently learned how to train and be better prepared. And in 2012, it was also pushing 90 degrees and it was somewhere around mile 10 or 12 where, where my chest was getting tight. And, and now I wasn't a naive rookie and I knew this wasn't good. It was like, I need to shut this one down because I don't need to read my name in the obituaries Tuesday morning. So that was not, you know, I finished, but that was not a pretty Boston. 13, you know, I can say this now. It's been eight years. 13 was one of the most beautiful days, glorious days. I had my best time at Boston. Everything about the day was perfect, finished, um, saw people along the way. It was just an absolutely great day. My family met me at the uh, team bus. I got in the bus and we were halfway home to Worcester and I got the phone calls about the bombing and the entire day became surreal after that. It was just, it was bizarre. And eight years later, my heart goes out to everyone that was injured and maimed and, and who witnessed things, you know, you know, maybe not physically, but mentally injured. And it's a shame what it did. But, you know, slowly some of the, the good memories of the day have come back. You took the Harriers bus that day? No, I think that day I may have taken the Griffin's Friends bus. So then you, um, you were out of the city then when the bombing occurred? Yeah. I would get back to the bus, take the old Notre Dame shower, just a you know face cloth and wipe myself down. And then my wife and son would always be at mile 24. So they'd see me go by and they would jump in the car and then get to the Boston Commons to pick me up. And that day they had no traffic at all. I had barely gotten to the bus and taken down my gym bag and my phone was in there ringing. It was my son. He's like, dad, we're at the corner already. So I didn't even uh, wipe off. I just jumped in the back seat had my six pack of beer and off my <laughs> wife went driving us home. And, you know, that was the ritual every year. And um, yeah. yeah, it was around Worcester that you know, I started getting text messages that something happened at the finish line. And I remember thinking, I, I hope it was a transformer 
you know, that exploded. That was my wishful thinking that it was a transformer. Such a sad series of events. Mm -hmm. So your last three Boston's 15, 16 and 17, those were the three years that I ran it. And uh, I just recall 15 was kind of cool rainy day and it was a good running day for me. And 16 and 17, I just remember being very warm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 15 was one of my better marathons. I was not in the shape I wanted to be. And I knew that. And for once I was smart about it. Um, And so I ran just a nice steady pace. And I remember having a good final 10 K because I, you know, I held back as I should. And it it was a good day. 16 was the beginning of the end with my knee. I had injured my knee or, or the knee acted up in February that year. I was in Arizona when the knee started going. So I got myself to the starting line, still thought I could be somewhat competitive. And it was a tough run. And then 17, I probably shouldn't have gone to the starting line, but I was qualified. And and how do you walk away from the starting line of Boston? That was just a case of survival. But I I still have good memories from it. I I enjoyed myself the final 10K knowing that that could very well be my last Boston. Times are respectable. So how's your knee today? It's not good. I'm grateful. I, I run every other day, three to five milers. And I'm grateful that I can get out there and still still run. But I got to be very, very careful. I, I have a spot on my femur where the cartilage has worn out and it, it's tender. And I believe something else is going on inside there too that hasn't been properly diagnosed yet. But Are the injections? Yeah, I'm trying it again. I actually went through a series for two or three years. I had surgery in 16 after running New York. And, and so I went for two or three years with them. And as you know, they, well, for me, they were last in six to nine months, but it seemed like they were lasting less and less. I did tear meniscus last August, had surgery, and I did just have another injection for the first time about four weeks ago. And I'm, it's feeling a little bit better, but I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. So I get injections every six months. Six months. Okay. Yep. Started out, I was getting a product called Synvisc One, and now my doctors switched to Duralane. I get them every six months and it helped me out. And, you know, 2019, I backed out of Boston because my knee was hurting so much. And, and so afterwards, you know, I went to the doctor and got an x-ray and, and then found this physician's assistant who administered the injections and he gives them to me every six months. And he says, I can keep getting them. And, and it helped me out. I, I ran the Philadelphia Marathon a few months yeah. later and uh, I'm planning on getting another injection in September. So, <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes to keep us going. I'm glad they're working for you. And again, I'm cautiously optimistic. They did change the injection this time. I got the single shot this time, and I'm not sure which drug it was. Previously, I used to get the series of three injections. Maybe that was Uflexa or something like that, I think it was named. Yeah, I think it's a similar product. Yeah. Density is greater on the single shot. Right. So you've run a bunch of half marathons as well. And I, I see you quite a bit on, on the Snowstorm Classic 5Ks and 10Ks. So do you have a favorite distance? I don't. Right now, given my decrease in mileage, I'm telling my friends I'm going to try and turn myself into a miler, even though there's not really many mm-hmm. track meets to go to. Right now, I'm loving the cross-country series. The USATF has a cross-country series, and I love going to those. They are very humbling because your cross-country races tend to have your more serious runners. So in addition to being injured, I'm not as young as I used to be. So I'm, I'm at the back of the pack, but that's okay. I'm grateful to be out there. And I'm looking forward to this coming cross-country season. In fact, I know you're loyal to your club, Tim, but the Harriers could use a few more 60-plus runners if you want to <laughs> run for the team and try the cross-country series. <laughs> you're to enjoy it. I was never that much of a cross-country runner, I guess. Is it more trail running and you're running over stumps and rocks? I would not define it as trail running or some of the mountain, you know, courses that they have. They're easy going. You'd enjoy it. I know you would. Certainly something to think about. So do you have any big events on the horizon? I guess you got the cross country series, right? Yeah, that's it. You know, right now, there is still the dreamer in me that wants to believe someday I'll, I'll do another marathon, but that's slipping away. I think tonight I will get to the the Monday night run at Stanley Park and get to that. But no, the cross-country series is it right now. You know, I just can't put the miles in that I I need to to be competitive where I think I want to be. 
So do you have a favorite place just to go out for a run? I really don't. I live in a nice little section. I'm in the corner of Feeding Hills, Southfield, and Southwick. So um, I got a lot of great loops right near my house where, you know, I can go out and only see two or three cars over the course of, you know, a long run. I, I have some nice roads around me. So I tend to just leave from my driveway. I'm lucky in that way. That's great. So you're involved with the Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame. And the inaugural induction ceremony was back in March of 2020, right before the pandemic shut everything down. So I understand now there's a second group of inductees that's been nominated and that there's plans for a ceremony in 2022. That's correct, Tim. Yeah. Advertising will will be happening soon. We have another board meeting uh, next week, but um, the date has been picked it's going to be the saturday before saint patrick's day as you know in this area you know saint patrick's day with the holyoke road race and the parade it's it's a big weekend and that's kind of you know what boston is to spring in the marathon world holyoke saint patrick's day is to, to folks here in western mass and so we don't want to have it on the same weekend but we have reserved the saturday prior march 12th will be this year's induction it was unfortunate. We had the nominees all set and ready to go um, for 2021. But unfortunately, with the pandemic, we had to hold off. So they're all queued up and ready to go for March 12th, 2022. When will the names be announced? We need to finalize that on our next meeting. Some of the names have trickled out. The individuals who have been nominated do know. And, and we weren't keeping it confidential per se, but with all due respect, I don't want to overstep my bombs. And really That's okay. <laughs> I couldn't get Don Roberts. I tried to pry the names out of her as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I leak him after she kept quiet, then she'll, she'll be on my case. So I'll keep quiet as well. It's a great group, though. It's a, it's a great group of people to work with in, in reviewing the candidates. There's so many worthy nominees. It is somewhat splitting hairs. So I'm not sure if there's going to be a class of 2023. Eventually, they talked about turning it into every two years. But given that it is relatively new, there is a backlog of some great contributors to the running scene in Western Mass that we're looking forward to recognizing. Yeah, it's a great idea. And it's great to um, recognize the contributions that folks have made to running in Western Mass. I had Don and Sue Grant on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and they've done quite a bit for running in Northampton. Right. And that's what, you know, this group is about, and, and it, it makes it tough. We're looking for those that have contributed. So it's not just about results. There have been some great runners to come out of the area, but there have been some great and loyal race directors. There have been great volunteers there have been great coaches. And so there's a lot to pick from and it's, it's tough picking the nominees. So Kevin, this has been great catching up with you. Like I said, at the outset, I haven't seen you in probably about a year and a half. Yeah. Hoping that I see you at maybe a Thursday night race at Ashley Reservoir. You know, for the past six weeks, I keep saying, I, I want to get there this week. I want to get there. And I have to admit with my knee, I have become more of a fair weather runner, given that I have limited tread life left on on these joints i don't want to waste them running in the pouring rain or in the severe heat or the extreme cold so you know as much as i love the snowstorm classics i'm not gonna go over there in the, the bitter cold anymore or there's been a few classic thursday night runs up there at the elks this year and torrential downpours and it's like no i'm not i'm not showing up when it's gonna rain but like you skipped a, a couple we've had a couple of rainy thursday nights this year already <laughs> there was one a, a few weeks ago i was actually driving there and the rain's coming sideways on my windshield <laughs> i just turned around and went back home <laughs> yeah i saw a video of some folks at the starting line it's like you guys are nuts um god bless them well runners are a hearty group yeah this has been great, Kevin. Uh, it's great chatting with you. And thank you for sharing your experiences on the podcast. And I hope to see you soon. And uh, Likewise, Tim. I think it's great you're doing these. And I enjoyed it. And yeah, hopefully our paths cross very soon here. On previous podcasts, I mentioned a few New England runners who were participating in the Tokyo Olympics. Now that the closing ceremony has concluded, here's how they fared. Gabby Thomas, who grew up in Florence and attended the Williston Northampton School in East Hampton before graduating from Harvard, 
earned an individual bronze medal in the women's 200-meter event. Gabby also ran the ankle leg for the U.S. woman en route to a silver medal in the 4x100-meter relay. Congratulations to Gabby. And the internet exploded after Molly Seidel won a bronze medal in the women's marathon event with a time of 2 hours, 27 minutes, and 46 seconds. It was only Molly's third marathon. She ran her first marathon at the Olympic trials in February 2020, and then ran a tune-up in London in October 2020. Molly, who grew up in Wisconsin but currently calls Cambridge Mass her home, has struggled with an eating disorder for a number of years. Molly skipped the Olympic trials in 2016 to enter a treatment program for her eating disorder. And in a 2020 interview with ESPN, she stated that while things have improved, it's been a work in progress and that eating disorders are a shockingly common part of collegiate distance running among young women. This resonates with what Kevin Fowle mentioned earlier in this podcast, that Kevin's daughter, Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, who's a sports dietitian, Lindsay works with many young female athletes who have suffered from eating disorders, including professional runner Mary Kane. For me, the highlight of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics was watching Molly's gutsy performance in the last mile of the marathon. Molly certainly is an inspiration to many young athletes. Congratulations, Molly. Another runner with Massachusetts roots who made the podium is Wadalene Jonathus, who was born in Haiti, but attended high school in Worcester. Wadalene earned a gold medal in the 4x400-meter relay team. Congratulations, Wadalene. Two New England runners participated in the women's 1,500-meter event. Ellie Puria St. Pierre, who grew up on a dairy farm in northern Vermont, advanced to the final heat and finished 10th. And Heather McLean, a UMass Amherst grad originally from Peabody, advanced to one of the semifinal heats where she finished 12th. Congratulations to Ellie and Heather for their fine performances. Now for a rundown of local running events. As I said in the previous podcast, I'm only listing events for this month and next month. You can always get the complete fall rundown on the Greater Springfield Harriers website. Rob Landry does a great job of maintaining the list of local running events, as well as results, and Rob will be my featured guest on an upcoming Let's Run podcast. The local running club weeknight race series continues. On Monday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Empire One Running Club hosts a three-mile cross-country race at Stanley Park in Westfield. On Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts a 5K cross-country race at the Northampton Community Gardens. Also on Tuesday evenings, the Child's Trail Races for children 15 and under will take place at 6.30 p.m. at Van Horn Park in Springfield. The final race will take place on August 17th. On Wednesday evenings, the Greater Springfield Harriers host their Summer Sizzler Races at Forest Park. The run on Wednesday, August 11th will be on the 8K on-road route. And on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Empire One Running Club hosts 5K races at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. Also on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Northfield Summer Road Race Series will continue until the end of August. Now here's a quick rundown of all events in Hamden, Hampshire, Franklin, and Berkshire counties between now and the end of September. There's a few new events on the race calendar. The Sweltering Summer Ultra takes place on Saturday, August 14th in Pittsfield. You can enter in either the 8-hour run or the 5K run. On Sunday, August 15th, the Mount Greylock Trails races take place in Adams. Distances include 13.5 miles and 3 miles. The Frozen Yogurt 5K is a virtual event that can be run anytime between August 15th and August 22nd. This event supports the Gandera Center. On Saturday, August 21st, the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts the 40th annual Montague Mug Race. Also on Saturday, August 21st, the first annual Pink Way 5K Run Walk will take place at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. On Sunday, August 22nd, the fifth annual race to end child abuse takes place in Greenfield. The Dalton Community Recreation Association May Day races are now scheduled to take place on Sunday, August 29th. Distances include 10K, 5K, and a two-mile run.
the New England Green River Marathon takes place on Sunday, August 29th. This race is already sold out. The Hoyt 5K Run and Walk will take place on Sunday, August 29th in Longmeadow. This event was created by B.J. Williams to raise funds for the Hoyt Foundation and all 11 chapters in the U.S. and Canada. B.J. Williams has a goal of raising $100,000 for the Hoyt Foundation and will be running in the incredible World Marathon Challenge, which is seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. B.J. Williams will be my featured guest on my next podcast. Now, here's the September race calendar. The September races kick off on Friday, September 3rd with the big 5K at the Big E Fairgrounds in West Springfield. The Road to Recovery 5K is a virtual run-walk. Participants are free to run, walk, bike, swim, etc. anytime between September 4th and September 18th. A new event on the fall calendar is the Village Ultra that will take place on the weekend of September 4th and 5th in New Salem. You can sign up for either the 12-hour ultra or the 24-hour ultra. This event supports the Trevor Project, which is dedicated to saving the lives of LGBTQ youth. The Berkshire Running Center hosts the 46th Mount Greylock 8-mile road race on Sunday, September 5th. The Westfield 5K, 10K, and Half Marathon will take place on Saturday, September 11th at the Boys and Girls Club in Westfield. Also on September 11th, the halfway to St. Patrick's Day 5K returns to Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. The fourth annual SOAR 5K and Music Festival also takes place on September 11th in Belchertown. On Sunday, September 12th, the Black Birch Vineyard 10-mile race will take place in North Hatfield. From Friday, September 10th to Sunday the 12th, the Notchview Ultra Trail Runs take place in Windsor, Mass. You can run for 48, 24, 12, 6, or 3 hours. The Healthy Kids Running Series for kids in grades pre-K through 8th grade takes place in Southwark on five Sundays this fall from September 12th to October 10th. On Saturday, September 18th, Colby's Path to the Cure 5K takes place at Stanley Park in Westfield. Also on Saturday, September 18th, the Don Maynard Memorial 5-mile race will take place in Greenfield. The Walter Childs Race of Champions, otherwise known as the Holyoke Marathon, is tentatively scheduled to take place on Sunday, September 19th. The 8th Annual Hospice Meadows 5K Run and 2-Mile Walk will take place on September 25th and starts on Fair Street in Northampton. Also on Saturday, September 25th, the Falcon 5K Trail Race will take place at the McDonald Nature Preserve in Wilbraham. Also on September 26th, Impact Racing, along with the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club, hosts the Summit Run 5K, a race to the summit of Mount Holyoke and Hadley. Also on September 26th, the Spartan Sprint 5K will take place in East Longmeadow. And as always, check the Hartford Marathon Foundation website for a listing of all the upcoming events. Thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running.